Being a Christian carries with it some commitments, some responsibilities. Yes, it is true that Jesus has done the work of our salvation. He's paid the price. He went to the cross. He gave his life. He poured himself out on that place called Calvary. He loved us so much, and he paid the price. He did the work. He's given, us, given himself for us. And then for those of us who have come to him, he's forgiven you. He has saved you. He has put you in the family of God. He has done so many incredible things. You are living with the Lord and you're on your way to being with him forever and ever. And yes, every single one of these things are true if we have sincerely believed upon Christ for salvation. But now that we are saved, now that we've come into the kingdom, there are some responsibilities that we have as believers. We're part of a family. And just like any family, there are responsibilities that each member of the family has. And we have those responsibilities too. These commitments are things that we do because we are Christ's, because we belong to Christ. We do them in obedience to his calling on our lives to be faithful. Uh, we, we also do them because they provide a powerful witness of Christ's saving work in our lives to those around us. And so we need to be careful in these things. Unfortunately, there are many people out there who have decided to not believe in or follow God in their lives simply as a result of the actions and hypocrisy that they have seen in Christians. Of course, this isn't an excuse. There, there is no excuse that will hold up when each person stands before God. You won't be able to stand before God and go, well, 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 well God, you know, Everyone that I saw that said they were a Christian, they weren't really living for God. I never saw a real Christian. It's not going to hold up. But as far as it is for us, we are called with a commitment and responsibility to live for Christ and to be that witness that, would, that God would use to speak to people that need him so, so desperately. There is a famous quote that states this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. If we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, then we will want to live a life of commitment to him. We will want to live a life of integrity and responsibility and with these commitments that the Lord uh, wants to give to us to bring into our lives. And so when we come to the book of Colossians, Paul has been giving just powerful instruction, powerful teaching in this letter on living the Christian life in, in, in the culture, in, in the culture that we live in. And he's taught about putting off the old Jew. And putting on the new you. Remember we talked about that, that you got to put off the old Jew. The old Jew is not an excuse either. Well, this is the way I've always been, remember? We've put on the new person in Christ. He's taught us about putting on Christian character, the very character of Christ, that we put it on just like a new set of clothes, so to speak. And he gave us a list of godly virtues that should be evident in our lives. And he gave us great teaching on living for Christ in our relationships at home and our relationships at, at work, in the workplace. These areas are where we live with integrity and responsibility. These are the areas where we live lives of deep, deep Christian commitment. You know, this is where it kind of plays out. This is where the rubber meets the road, out there, in our work, in our home, in these locations. The Apostle Paul closes out his letter to the Colossians with some exhortation on some areas that Christians should be deeply committed to. Paul give, here gives clear instruction for these instructions to be committed to some very important things. Well, what are those commitments that Paul communicates here 
in this last chapter uh, for all Christians, for the Colossians, specifically in this letter, but for all Christians because God has preserved this word, this letter for us, and we're reading it here tonight. And so what are these things that we need to be committed to in our lives? First, Paul says that we need to be devoted to prayer. Second, Paul says we need to be wise with outsiders. And third, I believe Paul is saying we need to be committed to being real, real people. So let's take a look at these, these commitments. And, and, and many of us, we have these things that are a part of our lives. And tonight, maybe we need a, we need a tune up. We need a check up. We need a boost. We need to be built up. We need to be edified in these areas. And that's what my prayer is tonight as we go uh, to this last chapter of Colossians. First, the commitment of being devoted to prayer. Let's pick it up in Colossians chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 2. Paul says this, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. If you and I are going to live for Christ, if we're going to have genuine Christian lives, we, we need to have genuine Christian commitments. And I can think of no other basic, fundamental, foundational commitment for the Christian life than the commitment of being devoted to prayer. We have just talked about prayer. Just recently we had, we've, we've talked about this, and I think it's important that you know, some of these things come up multiple times because we need to be encouraged in them. Prayer is one of those things that is a fundamental element to the Christian life. Without prayer there really is no evidence of life, a life of faith. Prayer is so essential to the Christian life because prayer is simply communicating to and listening to God. Our whole Christian experience starts with prayer. One of the things that Paul told us is that in the way that you started, continue. In the way that you started in the faith, continue in the faith. Well, how did your faith in Christ begin? It, it started with a prayer. It may have been the most simplest of things. It may have just simply been, help me Jesus, or help me God, or it may have been help, or God, or I need you, or something along. It may have been very, very simple, but it was a prayer that, that began your Christian life, your Christian experience, your relationship with God, and it's in prayer that we continue. Amen? It's very simple. We need to communicate with God. We need to listen to God. So we need to continue with and grow with prayer. The Apostle Paul exhorts the Colossian believers to continue earnestly in prayer. Here in verse 2, Paul not only practiced uh, prayer, I mean, he was a person of prayer, but he also prescribed it for all believers that they should devote themselves to prayer, that they should be devoted, that they should persist in, that they should be steadfast in. This is something that is really, it's just so foundational. It's something that we need to continue in every single day. And, and, and if you were to go throughout the scriptures and kind of do like this exhaustive uh, study on prayer, it would probably be like an enormous study. It would be like a, you know, you know, many weeks and months and years and, you know, because there's so many passages about communicating with the Lord, of hearing from the Lord, of walking with the Lord in that type of relationship. It, for that reason, prayer is not a spiritual luxury. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead, you know, used to be like, if you, can you believe that they used to make cars without air conditioning, right? And you used to have to pay extra for air conditioning. Remember that? I, my first car was actually a 1980. I bought it from my grandfather. It was a 1980 Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel. Anybody remember those? 
Yeah, back in the, uh, this is coming off of the 70s and the oil crisis and all that. So Volkswagen came out with these rabbit diesels and they got like 50, 55 miles to the gallon. The problem is we were living in Illinois and a diesel, you have to start with the glow plug, right? And sometimes that was bad. You know, it didn't work all the time because man, at Chicago, I tell people all the time, you don't know cold until you know Midwest cold. You just don't know. You just don't know what you're talking about. Um, but anyways, prayer is not a spiritual luxury. It is essential. Prayer is as vital to one's spiritual growth and health as breathing. I mean, you, you need to think about it on that level. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh yeah, hey, we've got this over here. We got that, you know, no, breathing is, is, is the equivalent in terms of prayer, what prayer is to the Christian life. It is everything. Uh, so it should be continual. It should be something that the Christian continues in earnestly. In fact, Paul said it this way to the Thessalonians, the, ch the church of Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and we've talked about this verse recently where Paul said, pray without ceasing. Uh, and so the idea here is not praying necessarily without stopping. I mean, certainly there are other things that God has called us to do other than prayer, but it's the idea of praying continually, of being in constant dialogue, being in constant prayer with the Lord, taking things to the Lord in prayer, communicating with him, listening to the Lord in, in, in prayer on a continual basis. Now, anytime you bring up prayer, anytime you say, you know, you're going to teach on prayer, the whole message is going to be on prayer, or there's going to be a point, one of the main points of the message is on prayer, you know, suddenly there's, there's just kind of conviction comes over the room and guilt and everyone knows that they're not praying enough. And, and I've listened to a lot of those sermons and uh, you need to be praying and we need to have prayer meetings and no one comes out to pray. And, 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 and it's always, it's always been for me, I've always perceived it as kind of the wrong way to go about it. Because I remember when I, came, when I met Mary Jo, no one had to talk to me. After we started dating, no one had to convince me. No one had to say, you know what? You should talk to Mary Jo. You should go out and spend time. When we, were away, when we were away from each other geographically, no one had to tell me, well, why don't you write Mary Jo a letter? Why don't you communicate? Why don't you ring up $300 Sprint bills on, 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 on your dad's uh, Sprint card? Remember that? When you had to pay 10 cents a minute? And that was a deal. For long distance. You kids today, you, don't, you just don't know. You don't know. This wasn't a phone in your pocket. This was a phone with a long cord on it. <laughs> the, struggle was, the struggle was real. I saw this. I saw this recently. Maybe you saw this video of these people, and they had like the rotary phone on the table, and these kids just like, these teenagers just like going, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, this is called a rotary phone. Used to have to, that's how you made a phone call. And if somebody were here, they'd say, well, well you, that was great to, be, to have a rotary phone. We used to have a thing, you know, never mind. <laughs> hmm. One day we had to tap it out on Morse code. <laughs> have you seen that? You know, there was another thing too, where like, you know, everything's texting right with the emojis. And I saw this thing, it's been a little while ago, maybe a year ago, like all these texts, like, on, you know, with the emojis and everything. And it was like 5,000 years ago, we had like, you know, the Egyptians had hieroglyphics and we've come full circle, right? <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's so funny. Um, but this is true. I even forget, what am I talking about? I don't even know. But anyways, we, oh, no one had to, no one had to force me to talk to Mary Jo, Right? It was just something I wanted to do, man. I thought she was amazing. I thought she was, I wanted to spend time. And I just am a firm believer as a pastor and as a Christian that that should be the desire for prayer and communicating with God. If, 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 if a pastor has to get up here and do this heavy duty and rah, 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 and you're not praying enough, somehow we've got to get you to fall in love with Jesus. Somewhere we got to get you to have a relationship to realize the amazing nature of God, the love that he has for you, the grace that he's poured out into your life and be so amazed and so in awe and stand in so amazement at that, 
that, man, I want to talk to the Lord. There's not a day that goes by that I don't want to talk to him, that I don't want to thank him, that I don't want to live in that communication with God and hearing from him. And I'm just a firm believer in it. God's word just simply encourages believer to continue earnestly in prayer. And one of the things it teaches us, the word, is that God is our father. God is our father. And just as a child speaks to his father, we should long to speak with our father in heaven. In fact, God has put his spirit in us, which cries out, Abba, Father. And this is what Paul told the Galatian churches in chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 6. You'll see it on the screen behind me. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. God has sent his spirit into your heart. Now, I want to just tackle this right now, but I just, this is maybe a, a soapbox and a pet peeve of mine, you know, because I saw, see all this stuff and just everything you see on Facebook that looks like it's from the word of God or looks like it's from somebody that's like, you know, blah, blah don't mean it's true. Amen. You know, you got to weigh all this out with the word of God. And I've seen videos where it says, you know, nowhere in the Bible, all these Christians that tell people to, 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 to come forward and have them ask Jesus into their heart, that that's not the formula for salvation, that there's nowhere in the Bible that talks about Jesus coming into your heart. Well, here it is, folks, <laughs> that God, when we come into the family of God, when we come into the kingdom of God, when we confess Jesus is Lord, there's something that happens spiritually, a couple of things. First, our spirit, which is dead, comes alive in Christ, and he sends forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, places it in our lives, places it in our hearts, and from that, because the spirit of the son is in our hearts, we cry back to the Father, Abba, Father. Amen? And here's the question for you. Here's the question for you tonight. Do you have, does your spirit cry, Father, Father? Does your spirit cry, Daddy, Daddy? Was there something within you today at some point that wanted to say, Father, Abba, Father? See, that's a, I think that's a pretty good indicator. You know, you want to take a spiritual uh, vital signs. You want to check the pulse, you know, spiritually. Is there something within you that cries out to your heavenly Father? And if there's not, wow, we need to, we need to come all the way back to ground zero and make sure that you want to give your life to the Lord and truly have the Lord Jesus in your life, amen? Because I believe that if he puts his spirit in you, you're going you know, to have that. You're going you're gonna to have that, the spirit of Christ in you that, that, that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Paul gives two specifics that should mark our prayers and our prayer lives. First, he says we need to be vigilant in prayer. Look at it. Verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Being vigilant in prayer. The word vigilant here is a Greek word which means to watch. To give, strict, to give strict attention to, to be cautious, to be active, to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly would overtake one. What Paul is saying is that you need to be devoted to prayer because prayer will keep you watchful in your life. You need to be vigilant in prayer and prayer will keep you vigilant. I mean, I think it's kind of like once you get on that, It'll, it'll keep you vigilant because when you're praying, you're aware spiritually. You, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, you know, we can become, we, we're, we're physical, right? And trust me, like, you know, we're, 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 we're very attuned to our physical desires, our physical needs. And when we're praying, I think that's a mechanism in our life that keeps us attuned to spiritual things and keeps us aware, keeps us vigilant. And so if you want to be vigilant, be in prayer, and that'll keep you vigilant, and watchful in that sense and keep you on a consistent and persistent prayer life, um, there, there, are, there are always so many temptations around us, so many temptations. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know, people say, people ask the question, is this, I mean, are, 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 is the world more evil than it's ever been? 
And, uh, you know, you can make a great case that it is, and you can make a great case that it's, it's been pretty evil for a long, long time. Because, you know, just go study history. <laughs> you know, go study history. And, you know, Solomon said it this way. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, unfortunately. There's nothing new. It's just the same old, same old. And, and, um, and so there's all these temptations. But I, I, I do think there is one thing, that, that there's a heightened level of temptation because of the access to information and barrage of, of um, you know, voices in our lives. I mean, you used to have a small group of people, right? You know, you didn't travel that far. You didn't have, you know, media. You didn't have news. You didn't have, like, you know, pundits. <laughs> you know, you didn't, you didn't have pundits. What was a pundit, you know? I mean, I'm sure you did, but you had to travel to listen to the pundits or whatever. You had to go to the town square. If you stayed in your house, you were pundit-free, right? <laughs> uh, but now you can't escape it because there's just pundits everywhere, just voicing their opinions and the way they got it all figured out. Uh, there's just a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices. And then, of course, you have the enemy. You have the enemy of our souls. Satan himself has crafted ways to deceive even those of the elect. So Paul said, said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'll read verse 10 and then 18. But this is what he says for us. He says, put on, uh, you, you'll see it on the screen behind me, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We've got to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What's a wile? It's like, you know, wile, wily coyote, right? He, was, he had wiles, right? But he wasn't too bright, you know? That, that was his problem. He had a lot of good ideas that were, that were, that were mis- you know, <laughs> I mean, he would strap himself to rockets and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. And the, and the devil has got stuff going. The wiles of the devil. So if we're going to put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, that we'll be able to stand against the craftiness of the devil, we don't have time to do a whole study on the armor of God, but that's a great study right there. But I want to draw your attention down to one of the pieces of the armor uh, that I think are the offensive weapons. I like to think of all of them as offensive, because if you're playing good offense, it's a good defense. Amen? A good offense. I mean, yeah, they say defense wins championships, and that's true. So there are some defensive aspects. The helmet of salvation you know, the breastplate of righteousness, but you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So this is a part of the armor. This is a part of the, the armor and the activity of an engaged believer, a, a, a person who's engaged in living for the Lord. So we, we've got to be people of prayer. And we've got to, and I just submit to you, just if, 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 you, if, if it's a struggle to pray, just ask the Lord to fill you so full of his spirit that I think that it will be, literally you won't not, how do I say this, without two, three, four, five negatives. You will not be able to not pray. <laughs> Did I say that right? I mean, you will not be able to withstand the desire to pray because the Spirit of God is so filling your life. Amen? So we're to be watchful, vigilant. Now, secondly, Paul tells us that we need to be thankful. Vigilant in thanksgiving, right, is the way he says it. And so we need to be thankful. And a big part of prayer is thanksgiving. And if you feel like, well, I'm getting into prayer and I feel like I want to talk to the Lord and I don't necessarily know what to tell him, but I just want to thank him. Well, that's, that's a good place to, you know, that's a good place to stay right here, you know. I don't know if you get the reference later. But, you know, being thankful 
for the Lord and just everything that he has done. A consistent daily prayer life helps us be thankful in all situations. Prayer encourages thanksgiving. And thanksgiving, our prayer, uh, thanksgiving and prayer are coupled together throughout the, the Bible. In fact, most times that you see prayer mentioned, you're going to see thanksgiving uh, attached to it because they just go hand in hand. Um, so we, we need to be people of giving thanks. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. What's that? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And maybe you're feeling like there's, there's an obstacle in prayer. And the obstacle is you've got something tough going on in your life. And you don't know where the Lord is in all of it. And you don't feel like you, don't, you, feel like you know where God is. And perhaps you don't know as much as you should how good he is. And what his intentions are for you. And that maybe he's changed his mind about you. And he hasn't. He loves you. He's an eternal, unchanging God. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loved you yesterday, and he loves you today, and he's going to love you tomorrow. And, and, and his intentions and his plans and his purpose has not changed for you. And you need to be reminded of that. And one of the ways that you are going to be constantly reminded about that is by giving thanks to him for that aspect of his character. And as I'm reminded of the character of God, and I'm reminded of it, I can't, I can't come up with any other thing that he's good. When I begin to talk about that he's unchanging, the, the, the immutability of God, when I, when I talk about the faithfulness of God, when I talk about the righteousness of God, when I talk about the, 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 the great things that we sing about, he's done great things, God, you've done great things. Well, when I think about those things, I come away with this truth that he's good, that he's good, and his mercy is everlasting. Let me say that again. His mercy is everlasting. Amen? And we need to get this game in our Thankfulness is a key to happiness. You want to be happy? Well, do I think it's the first key? I think there's a couple keys to happiness. Just this is a sidebar. Holiness is a key to happiness. Thanksgiving is a key to happiness. If you want to be happy, be thankful. Be thankful. Because the restless heart, the heart that's not content, I'm not talking about having desires, having goals about what you want to do, what God has put in, a dream that he's given you, put in your heart that you're working toward. I'm talking about a restless heart that's looking on to the right and to the left and saying, well, I'd be happy if I had that. And I'd be happy if I had that. But the, the, the reality is, if you continue in that pathway, you never actually reach happiness. You'd be quicker, you'd be on a quicker road, a quicker path to happiness if you find yourself in thanksgiving. Entering his courts, uh, his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Thanksgiving is the key to happiness. Then Paul asked the Colossian believers to pray for him. The, the request for prayer is nearly identical to the request that he gave to the Ephesians. Let's read it here in Colossians verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. It's nearly identical to the way that he said it at the close of his epistle to the Ephesians. I don't think I'll have it on the screen, but I'll read it for you. It's Ephesians 6.19. In fact, I used to, this used to be like a PS when I would send out letters I would, I would send out, you know, sincerely, you know, Pastor Charles, Ephesians 6.19. That was kind of my sign-off verse. And it says this, and for me, pray for, pray for me, 
that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So what is Paul requesting prayer for? He's requesting specific prayer of the Colossians, of the Ephesians. Pray for me that when I open my mouth that words may be given to me, utterance may be given to me, that I may be able to make known the mystery of the gospel, that I may make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wanted them to pray for him for boldness, clarity, opportunity to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul often called the gospel of Christ the mystery of Christ because it was the mystery of of the Christ, the Messiah who would come, who who they didn't know. I mean, you know, the Jews knew that, the, you know, there was the, the, the messianic prophecies, right? There was the messianic uh, passages. But, but they didn't put two and two together that this Messiah was going to come and, and give his life up and willingly go to a cross. And they were like, you know, the disciples were confused. What's going on? Paul tells us in Corinthians that this was all part of a, it was, something that was kind of covered over perhaps in the Old Testament because had the powers of darkness known what he was doing, they would, Paul says they would not have killed him. But because it was a mystery, he worked his plan perfectly and he, then it was uncovered through the revelation, through the understanding, through the, the, the illumination that, that the Spirit gave to the apostles as they wrote these various letters, as they wrote these books, to proclaim the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. Amen? So he's praying for an open door. An open door is always an, an opportunity. Amen? Paul was looking for an opportunity, an open door to speak the word of, of God. But you remember, what, what was an open door for Paul? Paul was in chains, right? Paul, he says, uh, I'm in chains and, and a prisoner in chains. And an open door for him was, I don't know, a new inmate to be put into his cell with him or something. You know, oh, we got a new guy in here tonight. Hey, you know, we got a captive audience, right? Put, put this guy in here with me, you know. It, it was probably true that if, if you got put in Paul, if you got put in anywhere near Paul in the prison, that you were going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were more than likely going to give your life to, to the Lord. Amen? <laughs> because he was, I'm, he was relentless. If I were Paul, I'm afraid I would have said, as for me, pray that the door of this prison might be open so that I could get out of here as soon as possible. I'm tired of this dungeon. I'm tired of being chained to this soldier. I'm tired of my pain. Paul didn't say it like that. He simply said, pray that God would open a door for the word of Christ. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Moving forward, we got to be devoted to prayer. Secondly tonight, we got to be wise with outsiders. Let's go back to the text. Verse 5. Paul says this, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. If you and I, if you and I are committed believers, if, we, if, we, if we've received the Christian commitments, the responsibilities, then we, need to be, then we need to be people who are wise with outsiders, wise with those who are outside the faith. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about, an outsider. What's an outsider? Those who are outside of the faith. You and I are all of the Jesus and all the church that some people will ever see. And for this reason, we need to be wise and careful with how we present ourselves to those who are not believers. This is so important. It's so important. I pray that God put this in our hearts. Paul is reminding us that as believers, we have a responsibility to be wise in the way that we act towards non-Christians. Paul knew that the Christian fellowship does, does and should have understanding for the mistakes of its own 
the world will not have the same understanding. And so that's why we need to be careful. That's why we need to be wise. That's why we need the wisdom of God in how we, man, are out there. We need to be wise. We need to walk with wisdom. We need to walk with circumspection. Paul, Paul tells the Ephesians to walk with circumspection, to walk wisely and circumspectly, right? The greatest illustration I ever heard about this uh, was this, and, 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 and I've stolen this and made it my own illustration. Um, and uh, yeah. So anyways, it's the part in Ephesians 5 where he's talking about to walk in wisdom, to walk circumspectly. And to walk circumspectly is, is how you would walk if you're standing in your kitchen uh, barefoot and you reach up for the top shelf, the glass, your favorite glass to get a glass of whatever it is that you're going to get a glass of. And the, the glass slips out of your hand and falls to the tile and shatters in all kinds of pieces. Now remember, you're in your bare feet. How are you going to walk now? Paul says, walk circumspectly, walk wise. And, and we need to walk with wisdom uh, as it pertains to the people who are on the outside. Um, I much of what I see now is like not walking with wisdom and circumspection, but walking as a, a bull in a china shop. This is what I see for the most part. Well, I don't care and nobody cares and we can just do whatever we want. What, where's that? <laughs> That's nowhere in any type of, a, 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 of an epistle in the New Testament. You know, what Paul's saying here is we need to be wise. We need to have, we need to, we need to be people. Of, you know, he's just got through telling us that we put on the character of Christ. How would that, what, what does that look like as we're, as we're uh, talking to and interacting with non-believers? Hey, look, we all, we all blow it. We all blow it. There's some of us that have road rage at times. I saw, I came up behind somebody the other day, their license plate was just, you know how you can get the uh, personalized plate? And I have one, rest times two, right? That's my license plate. This person's license plate was rage. I was like, man, get me out of here. <laughs> go on, go on. I'm just going to pull over and get a coffee or something. Let that person go on. But, you know, we all have those moments, but man, let's just allow that, allow the Lord to work on that with us this year. Amen? Paul's reminding us that as believers, we have a responsibility to be wise in the way that we act towards non-Christians. Our, our behavior with non-believers should be above reproach. Again, that doesn't mean, okay, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to get in the flesh or whatever, but let's not, let's not make a practice of that. Let's not say, well, well, this is the way I am. We already tackled that, right? That's not an excuse. It's not just the way you are to be however you want to be with people that are non-believers. We have a responsibility. God wants you to, to, to be careful, to be wise with with those that are outside the family. Some people will say, I don't have the time or the opportunity to share Christ with anyone. And I would say probably we're not looking for those opportunities because the opportunities are just coming at us like constantly, continually. Paul says we should be wise redeeming the time. This is making the most of our time, making the most of our opportunities. Now, some people say, I don't have time to be wise with outsiders. I don't have time. I don't have time to pray or share my faith or be involved in any of these commitments. I'm just too busy. I don't have time. <laughs> I saw this just recently. This, you know. I don't, there was no study. This is not a Harvard study or anything. This is not a Stanford study. But this guy says, I'm looking around. No one's working. <laughs> Nobody's working. Everybody's just, you know, on their phones and doing whatever. Nobody's working. We've got, we've got time. Time is perhaps the, the, one of our most valuable assets. Uh, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin 
that said, do you love life? Then do not waste time. Um, we've got time. It's just we've got it going on with all this other stuff and we've got to be people who are wise, redeeming the time. Amen? So he says our words. He gets into the language of how we're to be. He says our words should contain two powerful elements. First, our words should, should contain grace. Speech that is gracious is kind and courteous. And we need to be kind in the way that we talk to people. And we need to be courteous. Oh, Lord, let this be on our minds to be kind and courteous. And I, sometimes I haven't been kind. Sometimes I haven't been courteous. God forgive me. Amen. Because Paul's telling us as Christians, we need to be kind. And we need to have our speech seasoned with grace. We need to be kind in a way that we talk to people, courteous. That means that, you know, that we avoid useless arguments. Jesus always spoke with gracious words to those outside the faith. He, he always spoke kind and courteous. He spoke truth. I mean, you, here you had Jesus who was, John said it this way, he's full of grace and truth. He's full in every way of both of those things in just an unbelievable way. That's like just an incredible thing to be, to be full of grace and truth. Wow. And, and, and he's our Lord Jesus. He's our, he's our master. He's our model, right? So Jesus always spoke with grace and truth. You see the way he spoke with the woman at the well. He spoke truth, but he, he spoke to her heart. How he spoke with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. I mean, here's this guy up in the tree, right? Tax collector, short little guy. <laughs> Remember, we used to sing the song in kids' church, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Poor Zacchaeus, man. Zacchaeus is going to be greeting us at the, at, the, at, the, at the gates, you know. And he got to heaven and he said, look, I want to be tall. I want to be tall. We're going to be looking for Zacchaeus and it's going to be this tall dude over here. But who's that? That's Zacchaeus. The Lord was gracious. <laughs> he said, come down. Come down, I'm going to your house. Come down, I'm going to your house. He went to, he went to Levi's house. He went to people's house. And wow. Second, our words should be salty. I got to bring this home. Second, our words should be salty. Speech that is seasoned with salt is interesting. It invites interaction. It adds spice to a discussion and is pure and wholesome. And salt is that which makes you thirsty, Right? Spend any time around salt, you get out in the ocean, you get around, you know, salt, it makes you thirsty. Salty speech. Years ago, salty speech was a, was a slow, was a, was a phrase that connotated uh, the use of profanity. It was like, oh, salty speech. Paul said, no, salty speech is is, is, is good speech. Salty speech is gracious speech. Salty speech is the, is the type of speech that, 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 that is interesting, that's God-directed, that's, that's right on time, that God, God speaks through you, that God uh, has you uh, bring something up that you've learned, that you've been edified in, that you've been built up in, that adds something to the conversation, uh, and that ultimately uh, puts a thirst, puts, adds to that thirst that the person is already has. Amen? I, I love a, a, a nicely salted, nicely golden brown bag of fries, right? And seasoned just right. 
And I've, I've said this before, the, the worst thing that can happen to you is you go through the drive-thru, you're on a trip, and they haven't salted the, the fries. And you say to yourself, man, are, are we going to even eat these? And you have no choice but to sit there and eat them. You know, because you're hungry, you're starved. Right? Fries. So too speech that we use should create in people a thirst for the, for the water of the Spirit. <laughs> right? When you're in conversation where people are talking about the latest news or some hot potato topic, ask an interesting question. Throw, throw something in there. You, 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 I don't think I could do it. I don't think you could do it. You can do it. Let it be gracious. Let it be salty. Let God use you. Look for the opportunity. This is how we should be with people on the outside. Gracious, wise, and salty. And lastly, as we finish up tonight, be real. Let's finish this up. Uh, Tychicus, a uh, beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and, and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brothers in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. And now when this, is, this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of, La of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the, the epistle from Laodicea and say of Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. Paul, after writing this letter of the, on the supremacy of Christ and who Christ is and how he is supreme above all, any other system of thought, any other philosophy, any all other gods of the lesser gods and all the rest of it that we've talked about, he's written this masterpiece of a letter and he finishes it up in the in the conclusion by going through a list of, of of people that are around him and what this is to say is that that this isn't like a pie in the sky a bunch of sayings this isn't a pie in the sky well, well isn't this great and weren't these wonderful verses and and you know all the fullness of the godhead dwells in him bodily and he's above all and he's the he's the He's the, uh, the archetype of creation and all that. No, this is the powerful truths of God and who he is, and it comes into the center of our lives and flows out of our being and out of our character and, and, and is what we use to interact and to be real with people and live real lives, real Christian lives. And so he goes through the list. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, he goes through all these people and he, and he commends them and he says, this guy's going to do this, this guy's going to do this. You know, we're not talking about just, we're not making this stuff up. We're living this stuff. We're, we're doing this. We're not commending you something that, that is just out there and nobody's doing it. No, we're, we're doing that. In fact, we're so much doing it that we're sitting here in the, in the we're, we're writing you this letter. I'm going to send these guys to you. They're going to bring you this letter. Read the other letter. When it comes around, pray for these guys. These, are praying, these guys are praying for you guys. These guys are with me and they're praying for you. I want to stand as a testimony, as a witness to you that this gentleman over here that I'm commending to you is, has so much zeal for you, Colossians, that he's praying for you, that you would stand 
in perfection before Christ. This says to me this, that this is real life. That this is a real life to be lived for God, for Christ. And Paul urged, and Paul would urge tonight through this letter and through the Spirit that you have the Spirit of God in you. Go out and live for the Lord. Be devoted in prayer. Be wise with outsiders. Be real. Be real. You know, I'll, I'll end with this, and I just, you know, this is, I don't want to overdo this point, okay? But you can get around some Christians that it's like, you know, you, you, the activity and the action and the, and, the, and the pomp and circumstance of how they present themselves spiritually is like, you come away from it going, what, what is that? Who, who acts like that? Who does that? Who talks like that? Because they talk like this one way and they pray like this and then they come over here and it's some, completely different. And, 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 and I'm not saying this to put anyone else down or to, to chastise anyone or whatever, but, but for me, it, it's, it's about being real. It's about being a real person. You know, when I lay my head on the pillow tonight, you know, this is what I believe. This is what I live. This is what I want to proclaim. And I want to talk about the forgiveness of God. And I want to talk about the Spirit's work in our life. And I want to talk about the power of God. And I want to do that in, in the most genuine and real way. And, and, um, and that's what, I, I just believe that that's what we're called to. To walk, amen? You receive that? And, um, and that's really what, you know, if you wanted to ask me, like, you know, what's the, the feel of South Coast? You know? It's just, you know, I'm not, we're not trying to put on, you know, we're this and we're that and we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, we're real people mm-hmm. that are here worshiping God. We're hitting, you know, I'll be back on the drums. It won't be as good as Jake. <laughs> you know? And you'll go, man, Jake was better than his dad. <laughs> Wish Jake was back here. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> But I tell you what, it's just, to me, a genuineness. It's, uh, you know, it's not a flash and a game show up here. It's just real. It's just real. You know? And we... We have struggles. We have things that we go through. You guys have stuff that you go through. We're here for one another. You know, our our family members die. You know, your family members, same thing. Our family members struggle with, with illnesses, with problems, with things. Amen? And so all I can say is let's just do it. Let's just live our lives for Jesus and what he's called us to, and what he's revealed to us.